Good morning. Our second reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 15, verses 1 to 14. You will find them in the Church Bible on 1136, or there's another version too, 1227. So there are two different Bibles. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, immoral, impure or greedy person, such as a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth had nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. May God bless this reading from his holy word, and to his name be praise and glory. Amen. Thank you, uh, Judy, for reading that passage of scripture for us this morning. Um, it's a very um, challenging passage as well. It deals with issues... Uh, uh, in, our, in our lives as to how we are to live and react and respond in this world. Uh, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We submit ourselves this morning to this word of God. You know the struggles we face in our own lives, the battles that confront us, Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit will minister to our hearts. That you would strengthen us, Lord, in terms of what it means to live as children of light in this world. And give us the grace to do so. In Jesus' name, Amen. My friends, this morning, I want to speak to you on the topic, Live as Children of Light, which is based on Ephesians chapter 5, 30, uh, verse 3 to 14, which is our text 
as we work our way through the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at this passage under the following five headings. One, it deals with sexual purity. Secondly, purity of speech. Third, there are the warnings that Paul speaks of as well. Fourth, the reason why we should live differently. And five, the call and challenge to rise up, to awake ourselves. So there are the five basic outlines or headings that we're going to look at this morning. And as I said, I trust that God will give us the grace to share, uh, to, to point to us where we need to change as well in our own lives and take heed to the warnings. Well, today, let's, let's look at the first one on sexual purity. Verse 3, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5 as we work our way through this passage. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among sins. We have friends this morning in this text what we might call a triad. Sexual immorality, impurity and greed. The word for sexual immorality here is the word porneia from which we get this word illicit sex, adultery, fornication. Kind of translations for that particular word. Notice what the text says here this morning. But sexual immorality or impurity or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Why would Paul speak about sexual immorality? As we have noted previously, the Ephesians lived in a city where sexual immorality was rife. The Greek goddess Diana was worshipped at the temple in Ephesus and was the goddess of fertility. And sexual orgies were regularly associated with the worship of Diana the goddess and often with temple prostitution taking place right there at the temple. Imagine the scene. The goddess Diana is being worshipped. Sexual prostitution is taking place within the complex of the temple. Prostitutes are there in the place. Sexual orgies are taking place. And the Ephesians therefore lived in the context of this temple, in the context of this environment, in the context of an immoral and sexualized society. And these Ephesian Christians had to live and function within the context of such a super sexually charged environment. The pressure was well and truly upon them. This is really nothing new in society throughout the centuries. Is it not the case? We might say that it is true today as well. The fact is that sex sells. We see it in the movies. We, sex, we see sexually implicit photos in magazines. The entire sex industry is big around the world. The entire prostitute business is big in not just here in, in the city of Melbourne, but across the world. And so in one sense, you might say this morning, 
that all of us are living in a sexually driven culture and world. We might be blind to say that we are not living in such an environment. Whether you are married or single, the challenge is well and truly on. How then should Christians respond and live in such a sexualized society? Are we to walk blindfolded? Are we not to put on our TV screens? Should we not go on the net? How are we to live in such a society? And so I pose the question this morning, is God anti-sex? The answer is no. The answer is a clear, decisive no. Why do I say that? Because he is the God who created it. The Bible does talk about sex. And I'm not going to dwell uh, too much on this topic except to make the point that sex is a gift from God. The sex drive itself is something that God himself has given to men and women and it is given uh, for the procreation of life. It is also given to be enjoyed. It is given to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. Now certainly for those who are not married, for those who remain single by the grace of God, it does not mean that sex completes one's life. It does not. Because ultimately, I want to drive this point very clearly to all of us, whether married, single or widowed, that ultimately our satisfaction comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Does it not? Is he not the ultimate source of our joy, peace and satisfaction in life? Certainly it comes from Christ alone. But from a godly point of view, sex is a gift that God has given to men and women. And so the sexual drive itself is something that God has given to mankind. That's the godly view of sex. The opposite to God's view of sex is the immoral view of sex. And the immoral one is one that says it is okay to sleep around. It is, hope, it is okay to have casual sex. It is okay to have multiplicity of partners. It is okay to use your body to do anything that you might want to do with it. After all, we are the master of our own destination. That's the approach that says, God, I have nothing to do with you and nor do you have any ownership on my life. It is my life. And I will live it the way I want to live it. And therefore, it doesn't matter if I have casual sex or not. A recent survey was done in the U.S. And lots of young people have made the point that it is okay to have casual sex in, in the universities. It is okay to, uh, to sleep around. Uh, we have the whole entire push, for example, even here, to provide condoms and everything else because it's alright. Now, that's a way of the world. It's the immoral view. And I'll come back to as to why, why, why is Paul saying this? Surely, we can do what we want with this. But this is not the case that Paul is saying here for God's people. 
It is not the case for his church. Because Paul goes on to say clearly, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And who are the saints, friends? Saints are those whom God has called. Saints are whom God has transformed from being a sinner to his child. Saints are those whom God has redeemed both body and soul. Correct? Saints are those to whom Christ has paid the price for your sins and mine. And he claims our bodies belong to him. In fact, we've been studying 1 Corinthians in our evening services. And we've looked at that, and John's touched on these things as well. And reminds us in the book of Corinthians that, the, that our bodies belong to Christ. We are the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives in us. And so your body is not your own. Yeah? My body does not belong to me, correct? It belongs to the God who has redeemed me. And if you are married, then your body does not belong to you either. It belongs to your husband or to your wife. And so it, it, it is in that context that God says, this is the best plan that I have for you. Live it my way. And so Paul says, there should be not even an int of sexual immorality in uh, the church. As we see in 1 Corinthians, there was sexual immorality that was rampant in the church. In God's church, it was taking place. There should be no hint of it. What a challenge it is for us. He speaks here further of impurity. Sexual immorality and all impurity. The word for impurity is uncleanness. It is, in, in a sense, it is a, in, in a moral sense, it is impurity of lustful living. Impurity can signify an unrestrained sexual behavior, both in actions, in behavior, as well as in the mind. Let me illustrate what I mean for a moment. Think about the current challenge that confronts us with the issue of pornography. Do you think it is a problem today? You're not really sure? It is. It is a massive issue. It's a massive issue for us guys in particular, but I'm sure for women as well. It is there, it's available. We need to be accountable as guys. Because there may be some in this whole congregation, I know in the room here, who might be struggling with the issue of pornography. I don't know. But it is there. It is challenging. It is confronting. It is available. Impurity comes through that as well. The images that we see in our minds, in a, in a, in a, in, that, that takes place here, what we see, can translate to our hearts and translate to actions. Listen to what someone said about pornography. Anti-pornography activist Gail Dines notes that young men who become addicted to porn, neglect their schoolwork, spend huge amounts of money they don't have, become isolated from others, and often suffer depression. Dr. William Struthers, who has a PhD in this area from the University of uh, Chicago, says this, confirms some of these and adds that 
finding, that, that men are finding pornography controlling their lives. They become introverted, depressed, distractible, curious, have anxiety levels and low self-esteem. So while pornography might create momentary, intensive, intensely powerful, pleasurable experience, it ends up leading to several negative psychological experiences. We know that. I don't think any Christian would be going deliberately and saying, well, let me have a look at pornography today. I don't think so. Maybe you do. I don't know. But we know in our hearts this is not right. Correct? We know in our conscience this is not correct. But you might be struggling and battling with it. You might be battling with this because it is so hard. And we don't talk about it. Because to talk about it means, well, man, there's something really wrong with you. You're a terrible sinner. You should be disciplined. You should be put aside. Because you don't want to even talk about the subject. But friends, let's be open about it. Because God's word talks about sex. It talks about sexual immorality. It talks about the pressures of sex. It talks about the pleasures of it. And it talks about the fact that there are challenges that comes with it. Impurity. It is a struggle, I think, for all of us, perhaps, in this matter of purity in life. What about our young people? What about our young men? What about young women this morning here? What about the older men and women as well? And the challenges that confront us in this area of sexual purity and the impure thoughts that can come our way. And then Paul goes on to speak about covetousness. That's greedy. That's the word there. It's a greedy desire to have more. It's it is selfishness and it is overreaching. That's the word there. It is overreaching. And in this context then, the greed or the covetousness here is a greed that is sexually driven. It is a greed then for someone else's body simply for sexual pleasure and self-gratification. That is to use the person as a disposable item, greedy, running after it. And all of these forms of sexual immorality, impurity, are so serious that note what Paul says, they must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. And then he focuses, as we move on, onto speech. We move on to the purity of speech. I want to say this, friends, before I get to that. If this is a sin, that is sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness and greed, if this is a sin that is crippling you, then turn to the Lord. If it is bringing you down and you are battling with it, turn to Christ. I remember when I first became a Christian, before that I had no concept of of sin, I didn't worry about it, I didn't... Who cared? I'm sure you would have done the same because you were not a Christian at the time. And when I became a Christian, I had to deal with the sins in my own life because I knew what I was doing was not right. And it was a battle and it's still, there are battles in my own life 
in areas that I need to work on, just as much as you need to. And if you're struggling particularly in this area of impurity of thought, of pornography, of sexual immorality, of greed after this, I plead with you, by the mercies of God, to turn to Him, to seek help, talk to someone else, a brother or sister in Christ, and seek help to work through the issue, rather than letting it cripple you down, because God wants you to be freed from the power of it, right? He wants you to be freed to live an honorable life for Him. And so Paul goes on now to the purity of speech. Here again, we have a tried filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now each of these words used for sinful speech is used only here in the New Testament. Filthiness. This is the understanding of the word here is it is disgraceful speech. It is obscene speech. It is obscene language. Filthiness that comes out from your mouth. As Christians, Paul says, that's not to be part of you. Foolish talk. Foolish talking or moronic talking. It is silly talk. Just talking for the sake of talking again with the connotation of being making all kinds of talks about sex and so forth. It is crude joking. Now this does not mean that we cannot joke and have a good laugh. Right? I'm sure we all like a good laugh, right? What is life without a laugh? I think it will be boring. Right? I love enjoying a good joke. I love making a quick joke here and there. I enjoy a good laugh because I think laughter is fantastic. Life will be boring if we cannot joke and have a laugh. Humor is very much part of our life. Look at what Proverbs says here. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So Paul is not saying don't have humor. What he's saying is that crude joking is not right. In our context here, it means suggestive tones of off-color jokes, of comments that are offensive. You might hear that in the office, don't you? Your work colleagues might be saying these things. Or at university, or at school. And you hear these crude, cruel jokes that are going around, and you're sitting there and you're cringing, and you're thinking, what can I do? How should I respond? Should I say something? Should I not say something? How do I connect? I used to um, work cleaning bricks uh, as a brick cleaner when I was a student. I grabbed everything I can to get, earn my money. It was good money. I used to be on this ladder. I thought for a moment I'd be falling down and the Lord would take me to heaven straight away. It was one of these uh, very thin boards and it was a high scaffolding, not like what we have today. No work safe. It was a ladder and a piece of plank in between and I'm with the bucket of acid, with the scraper and I'm cleaning this thing. I work with builders. And when we meet together at lunchtime, imagine the conversation that goes on. <laughs> the jokes that's been said. The language that's been used. And I was a Christian guy there, working there in the context, and I to think, well, what can I say? Did I say something or not? And eventually they knew that I was a Christian somehow. And because I didn't join with those jokes. Not that I was better than them. It just was not possible for me to do it. One writer puts it this way. All three terms refer to a dirty mind expressing itself in vulgar conversation. This kind of language must be avoided as utterly inappropriate among those whom God has set apart as holy. 
And Paul says, instead, let there be thanksgiving, 4b. Instead of looking at sex and making it something cheap, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving stands in opposition to every other thing we have noted, and hence it is one of thanks. Let your life be one of thanksgiving. How many things can we thank God for this morning? How many things? Lots, can't we? We can thank God for life. We can thank God for strength. We can thank God for friendships. We can thank God for family. We can thank God for relationships. We can thank God for the good things that He has given us. Instead of these things, let us live a life of thanksgiving. Lord, I want to thank you that in your grace and your mercy, you have made me a new person in Christ. You have blessed me with every perfect and good and wonderful blessing in Christ. I have so much to thank you for. What a blessing it is to belong to you. What a joy it is to know the God of creation in Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to know that I belong to Christ. That I am His and He is mine. A life of thanksgiving. The mornings. We keep moving on. There are two warnings here. I will quickly work our way through this. For you may be sure, verses 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So first warning is, know that you have no part of the kingdom of God. The point here is that Jesus is building his kingdom now, and if one is pursuing such a lifestyle as a Christian, it will make your life empty even now. Correct? But there's also a warning in terms of the future. I want to make this clear here because I looked at this passage and I asked myself the question, does it mean if someone has a temptation and falls in this area of sexual immorality, does it mean that that person will not have a part in heaven? No. This does not mean that if a believer in Christ fails or falls short in this area, that such a person will lose salvation. There is always forgiveness for our sins when we repent and turn to the Lord. But if such a person is an idolater, as Paul says, that means he has turned away from Christ and made this is God, then there is a warning here. And the warning is serious. Further, don't be deceived by empty words. Let no one deceive you by verse 6 and 7. By empty words, because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not... Become partners with them. Beware of false teachers. In, in a sense, that's what I think Paul is saying here. Who says, for example, that God is too kind to deal with sin. For example, there are those who say that God will not judge mankind and all will go to heaven. Universalism. Notice that those people will come under the wrath of God. The warning is clear that the wrath of God comes upon, upon such ones, the sons of disobedience. See, God is a God of love and mercy. But he's also a God of wrath. And the Lord's Supper this morning. Praise God for that. <laughs> Where will we be without the sacrifice of Christ? We'll have the wrath of God upon us. So Paul is saying here, Paul is not saying here that we are not to have any contact or association with such people because we have to reach out to those in this world. This is not what he's saying. We are to live in this world, but the point is don't be participants with them in their activities. That is, don't share in their activities. You can associate certainly, but don't participate with what they are doing. That's the challenge.
that we have here. Be wise how we live. And the reason, as we go on verses 8 to 12, have a quick look at that passage. You could uh, read it in your inner Bibles as well. He says, for a while time you were darkness. That's the reason. But now, what are you? Anyone. You got verse 8? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice what Paul is saying. He does not say that at one time you lived in darkness and now you are living in the light. He says for at one time you were darkness. At one time you were spiritually lost. At one time you lived in the dark world of sin and its misery and its shame and its lostness. But now you are light. Paul bases his reason on the symbolism of darkness and light. For example, in Colossians we read this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That is what Paul is saying. You were once in this world of darkness, living without Christ, in a dark world. You might say, well, that's not really true, Chris. But spiritually, you are in a dark place. But Christ has now changed you. And you are now light. He has brought you to the light of salvation. And so live now in the light of that. You see, the Bible does speak about that, doesn't it? How God has brought about that change. And how did he do it? Romans chapter 5 verse 8. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Through faith in Christ alone, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into that of light. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, what is it? Will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What do you want, friends? What do we want in our lives? The world of darkness or one of light? You see, living as children of the light is not only how we behave and speak, but also wanting to please the Lord. Verse 10, we want to give him praise, we want to please him. Look at the text there, it says that wanted having discernment to please the Lord. This takes away legalism, it takes away from do's and don'ts. We are moved by the heart with gratitude, wanting to please our God. No wonder Paul says, verses 11 and 12, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. See, brothers and sisters, living as children of the light means not engaging in the sins of the unbelieving culture around us. Of course, we live and function in this world. And as we do show the love of Christ to those around us, their sins will also be exposed. For example, when you refuse to join with filthy jokes, or you're challenged to do things that you know is not right as a Christian, your non-Christian friends will eventually see and notice the difference, wouldn't they? Have you ever been in a situation where you've not joined in what they have done, and haven't they asked you, why are you not joining in our jokes? Why are you not coming to places that we are going to? And then eventually they'll find out that you're a Christian. And sometimes you'll have to pay the price for it. Because I think it is challenging. The light will 
draw people to it, it will also repel people. And as a Christian, that will be a challenge. Now let me move on. The fifth one here, the challenge. Verses 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, light is transparent. Light reveals. Darkness does things in secret. Darkness produces concealment. For Jesus himself said about his people, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of God that shines through us exposes darkness. You see what the text is saying? Rise up. Verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake or sleeper. Now there are those historians and Bible scholars who believe that these lines, that is 14, verse 14, are, are from an ancient hymn that was sung on Easter mornings. There are those who take that view. There is also a strong suggestion that it refers to Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1, which was our first reading for this morning. Now, whatever the reference may be, the call is to wake up to the church, to rise up, not to compromise. And notice what it says here. The text is clear. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What a blessing. Do you want the Lord to shine upon your life? We used to sing that song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Want our lives to shine. Want Christ to shine upon him. So that your life and mine will be a light for Christ in this world. And as we struggle through life, as we battle through things, remember that you're not alone. That Christ is with us. The Spirit of God gives us the strength to turn away and to live a life for the glory of God. Because God wants the best for you, correct? And he wants the best for me. That's God's way, not my way. God's way is, I'm with you. My Spirit is with you. And I will give you strength. That's the life that he calls us to live. So that we bring glory and praise to him as children of the light. As these children then, we are to live our lives knowing and celebrating the life we have in Christ. Because at the cross, Jesus paid the price for all our sins. I don't want anyone here to go out of this place feeling utterly miserable. But I want you to go out knowing that if you confess, if you repent, if you turn to Christ, the sacrament today is a reminder that everything has been paid for us at the cross. Isn't that wonderful? And our lives are driven by Christ who gave his all for you and for me. And I want to live to please him. A life of thanksgiving. Say, Lord, thank you for all that you have done. The, all the dirt, the muck that I have in my life. You have taken it to the cross. You have paid the price 100% that I have never been able to pay. And I never can. And even in the midst of my struggles. Even in the midst of the sexual struggles or, or whatever it might be. You know it all. Help me Lord to live a life to please you.
as I struggle through this journey. And to thank you for everything that you have done. May your light shine upon my life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that your spirit will work in each of our hearts and lives. You know our battles, our trials, our our challenges, our temptations. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to live a life by the power of your spirit that would want to please you, to live a life of thanksgiving to you, knowing that you are with us every step of the way. We thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you for the supper this morning that reminds us that all our sins have been taken upon Christ at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.